welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Jimmy Dodd and Renaud Vanderritt. Jimmy is the founder and CEO of Pastor Serve, an organization that works across denominational lines to strengthen the church by serving pastors. He's also the author of Survive or Thrive, Six Relationships Every Pastor Needs. Renaud and his wife, Brooke, founded Mosaic Church in Winter Garden, Florida. In 2002, Mosaic has become a nationwide pacemaker for fostering and adoption and a sought-after model for how ministries can respond to childhood special needs and trauma care. Jimmy Reno's book is called What Great Ministry Leaders Get Right, Six Core Competencies You Need to Succeed in Your Calling. But before we hear from them, let's go to our host, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, that's You do that like in one breath. I mean, it's pretty impressive when yes. you actually see it. Uh, Daniel Yang, thank you. And of course, um, we're going to talk today about, well, the book is What Great Ministry Leaders Get Right. And I just want to say that you have picked the wrong title because clearly the theme of 2020 and 2021 is what ministry leaders got wrong. And I mean, that's been what we're talking about. We're all, I mean, gosh, I mean, who's not listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Who's not followed some of the, I mean, this... The contra- not the, I mean the controversy, the failures, the, the 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 crises, the the horrible things that people we had huge admiration for, um, you know, that turned out to be you know fake, um, and and in some cases predatory. I mean, it's really been a great revealing in many ways. At the time we're recording this, there's articles that just broke out about uh, another educational institution that their mishandling of things. I mean. So, so guys, I, I'm with you. I need you. But, you know, here's the reality is that we're living in a really kind of revealing, uh, a revelatory time when the big question people are asking, why does everything keep going wrong? But you're taking a different approach and saying well, what they do right. So let me start with Jimmy. Jimmy, in what way is your message, your learning here? I mean, you're at PastorServe. You often are brought in when things are not going well. So how is this different when people learn at Bible college and seminary, and how is it needed today? So let's start there. Yeah, first of all, gosh, it's just uh, very, very nice to have this, uh, you know, I mean, this is a great podcast, so I feel extremely honored. It's also very awkward, the fact you have a book, and probably the very day that it comes out, you think, you know, this book needs to be updated, because it came out, and it was right before COVID and everything else, and then the world changes, and you think, Okay, I think that we that it, you know that it would be best if we, we we would actually update this. But you know, it's it's just extremely interesting because I think that we have met with with just lots and lots of pastors who have, uh, I mean, like the very very best schools. They went to Wheaton College. They went to you know the like the very best schools, and they're in the pastoral ministry, and they just confess and say, you know, I feel like I was trained at the very best places, but I don't feel competent to do what I'm actually called to do. I feel like the everyday challenges I face as far as leadership, as far as things, as far as conflict, whatever it might be, uh, I I don't feel trained for those things. That is true so much more now because we weren't trained in how to walk through COVID and how to walk through the mask on, the mask on issue and Christian nationalism and CRT and systemic racism. We weren't trained in those things. And now you have pastors that feel like I am lost because I feel like whichever way that I go, I'm going to create some conflict in the church. If I speak up on anything, 
the church is so polarized that I'm going to create issues at this point. And so it's a very difficult, very, very fearful time for pastors. Yeah. And I think this is a key thing because um, you wrote this and you're talking about, you know, healthy things and healthy choices. And, you know, I, you know, I could start by, and I did start by talking about, you know, things that we see that, you know, there were crises and moral failures and, and, you know, I mean, to, to the point of predatory behavior. Um, but at the same time, pastors are, I mean, there's never been a time to lead like this in, in my lifetime. And, you know, you're right. You know, you know if you said, told people to wear a mask, you're a compromised coward. If you eventually said, maybe we shouldn't, then you're, you don't care about people, right. you know, and everyone is, you're, ter- you're terrible. Um, for people interested, we'll put it in the show notes. I wrote about this in Outreach Magazine. Um, I call it the great sort. People are now demanding ideological conformity. If you mentioned one thing but didn't mention other, people are keeping score. People are keeping track. So we need reservoirs of resilience like we've never had before. And so I want you to start touching on some of the areas. And we're no, we'll go to you. Um, I want you to start touching on some of the areas. What are some things? Uh, you know, there are six core competencies. We don't have to unpack all six of them. Mm. But as you look, maybe you know, twenty twenty and twenty one, your book comes out. The world changes. And what yep. one first comes to mind and say, man, this is a core competency you're going to need in the midst of the cultural convulsion we're walking through? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would actually say, Ed, that um, the book divides into two main sections in terms of the types of competency it talks about. And I think those two are revealing in terms of where leaders often either feel pain or create pain. Uh, the first set of competencies, the first half of the book, are the competencies that relate to character, belief, the spaces where our insecurities exist, where our fears exist, where we believe things, need things. So in in the simplest form, uh, we believe that as long as our people are happy with us and we keep them happy, then we are okay, those kinds of things. So where our insecurities are or our misplaced securities, where where our identity in Christ is not well established, uh, there are failures. And so that creates pain for the leader and it then eventually creates pain for the congregations. On the other end of the spectrum are just leadership competencies, like how do you actually lead? What structures, infrastructures, how do you create unity? How do you do all of this stuff? And what happens often is young guys come out of seminary into church planting. The churches mature, they grow, things happen. And we are so busy leading that we're not busy growing. And so what ends up happening is the organization catches up with our competencies. And then what, I, what I've found in my own life, as well as the life of leaders, is that we compensate for our incompetencies in leadership with those things we do well. So for me, for example, where I couldn't lead well, I just talked well. And so I used communication to compensate for leadership deficits. Well, that can only last so long before it starts crumbling. And so the book divides into those two parts. Here's character issues you really need to build into your life as far as competency. And here's leadership competencies you need. And I think if those two are more secure in each of us, we are less likely to be in pain and create pain. Hmm. Uh, y- your book really uh, tries to turn uh, conventional wisdom on its head. And and Jimmy, let me come back to you. Uh, you know, the, the, the A word, accountability, like that's, that's a word that we all throw around because we believe, I believe, leaders uh, uh, need accountability, especially to avoid moral failure. But but in the, your book, you're, you're saying that that's not enough, that that won't help leaders avoid moral failure. 
why isn't accountability uh, sufficient? And w- what do you think church leaders need to focus on said? Yeah, because it's got to be about relationship. It's got to be much, much deeper than just, okay, here's just a bunch of questions every week I want to ask of you. It's got to go to a real, uh, I mean, I'm in a hard place, an honest place, a very risky place where you share your deep, deep life with somebody. And I think that we've made a big, big, big mistake in the fact that we have the front stage and the backstage as far as pastoral ministry. And we applaud the front stage, but we make massive assumptions about the backstage because, gosh, if it's a strong church, if it's a strong leader, if he's a strong preacher, if she, you know, can do all of these things, we just make assumptions that, well, I think their backstage is probably pretty good because their front stage is so strong. Well, that's been blown up the past couple of years because there's been Mm -hmm. so many, I mean, leader after leader that have a very, very strong front stage, their backstage has been blown up. And so I think that you have to be able to have those friends that can ask you some deep questions about your backstage, which means they're asking you about your marriage, about your fantasy life. Uh, I mean, like about your habits and addictions. They, they're asking you about everything in their life. And it's the most freeing thing in the world as a leader to not carry secrets. Uh, it's a huge burden if you carry secrets. I just, I just worked with a pastor, uh, and it was on Tuesday, who's had a huge secret, and it just came out. And I said, I know how you have felt every day when you wake up. And he said, okay, how have I felt every day when I wake up? And I said, the first thing on your mind every day is, is today the day that, that, that they find out my secret? And he said, yeah, that's right. That's absolutely true. It's such a burden to have these secrets. So to have those friends that you can share everything with, that's what it takes. It's not just accountability questions. Have you looked at pornography? Have you spent time with the Lord? Have you lied to me in the past six questions? Uh, because I have dealt with pastor after pastor who have lied. It's just, it's pretty simple. Yeah. They lie yeah. and it's not honest. Yeah. And that, you know, and I think that that, that, that is, uh, sorry, Jimmy. No, go ahead. I mean, that's the, that's the big thing, right? Accountability falls flat because when the pastor lies and we're all capable of lying. So accountability um, requires the desire of the person who's being held accountable to want to be truthful. And so that's where accountability fails. But where intimacy is more powerful than that is that intimacy has to do with how much I care about, for example, spouse or friend or church. If I'm in love with God, I'm in love with my spouse, I'm in love with the church, then I don't want to lie or hurt. And so we would argue that building intimacy and therefore building a I'm in love with you is a far more powerful deterrent to making giant mistakes, the devastating ones, than having accountability. Because accountability saves us from our little mistakes. You know, I've got a triple X church on my computer, so I'm not going to look at porn because I don't want to explain tomorrow what I looked at. But they're not going to, accountability is not going to save us from our devastating decisions because they take time and they are an erosion and a, and a diminishing of intimacy and love with people around us and with God who we love. So we would argue work on intimacies, not on accountabilities as your primary um, defense. Okay, so I want to calm, I want to press in on that a little bit because yeah. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what we mean by intimacies here. So because I remember a conversation I had with um, with Rick Warren and he said, I, I think he says this publicly, he said, yeah, I just don't, you know, believe in the accountability kind of things that people, whatever, you know, he said, and I said, what do you mean? He says, cause every person I know that was in accountability that later had a moral failure was actually lying the whole time they were in accountability. So yep. I totally, yep. I, I totally related to it. So, so I'm with you that accountability uh, without the intimacy of a relationship is 
problematic. You know, we can all go through, you know, Wesley's accountability questions or or Neil Cole's accountability questions, which, by the way, I'm for yeah. those things, just yes. so we're clear. Yes. I'm for yes. accountability as a pastor or leader. In my case, I'm accountable to uh, my boss, uh, Karen Lee. I'm accountable to a board mm -hmm. uh, that leads the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Lots of accountability. But so intimacy, I, Jimmy, let me go back to you. Jimmy, I don't know that intimacy is something that I'm looking for being in a relationship with you with intimacy. So what, is, what does that mean and how is that expressed through the pastor or staff member? He or she is, all right, I want to have this kind of intimacy that, you know, Jimmy and I were talking about. What, is, what does that look like? I, I want that with my wife. I'm not sure I want that same thing with, uh, with Daniel. No. So talk to yeah. me about that. Well, I mean, yes, it's not a big group of friends. It, it's, a, it's a small group. It's a small group of friends. It's a trusted group of friends. And there, there's absolutely a risk in this. There's absolutely a risk because you're going to share things and you think, gosh, if this person ever turned against me, they would have lots of dirt on me. But that's the joy of that. I, you know, that there, there's that real joy in that because so much of the weight comes off of your back when you share things with just one person. With just one person, so much of the weight is just released. And so I don't, yeah, so 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 it's a small group of people. It's those, and and the, you know what? There, there's I mean, there's no secrets. It's all out there on the table. Uh, but I think you have to know there's always a risk in that. But it's absolutely worth it because the freedom that 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 actually is there as a result is, man, it's just it's just freeing. It's a joy. It's wonderful. Hmm. But there's a risk. Right, right now, if, if you don't mind me asking you, since you're serving as a pastor, um, yeah, and it's really just getting down in the brass hacks practical, like with your friends within the church, yes. um, yeah. what do you share? What level of detail? And yeah. like, right, not the specifics. Yeah, but yeah, but what kinds <laughs> of things? What, right. yeah, yeah, what are the categories? I, I'm with, and I'm with what you, Ed. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a great question, and I think even one of the chapters in the book argues that the um, philosophy of not having close friends in the church because of your position and so on, we kind of s step into the opposite space and say, I, I disagree with that, because I think intimacy is in its best form when it is someone doing life with you in sort of as much of your everyday as possible. So um, I have a number, my best friends are all within the church I pastor. And with those friends, uh, they are a small pocket. There is a level of transparency and vulnerability that is extremely high. And I, I would say to you, those friends know everything about me. They have access to talk with my wife at any time and know everything about me. My wife is best friends with their wives so that there is a, this constant inability to be able to hide behind the absence of presence. We are present within one another's lives. And so, uh, and then I choose to share a great deal with them because that's my safe place. And then I just build uh, slightly lower layers of transparency and vulnerability with the other people around me, but still intimacy. I think we often define intimacy kind of like you were saying, Ed, with my wife, I have intimacy. We use the word in that category. But intimacy is any time where I love or care about someone and they love or care about me and we have close connection and relationship. It's just different between my wife and I and a friend, different kind of intimacy, but still intimacy. So uh, to answer your question, Daniel, I am very close with my friends within the church and that is my safety net. And I love work at 
falling more in love with my congregation by being with them as much as I can, falling in love with my wife more by being with her as much as I can, and falling in love with Jesus more. And that takes work, energy, and effort that a lot of pastors yeah. do not put in, and they compensate for that with accountability, and accountability will fail them. Okay, okay, but but I guess I guess I want to press a little more because I, I need more clarity. I have relationships like that. So sure. you mentioned your wife and uh, friends with others. So you have a fight with your wife. Is that yeah. something you share with them? Um, I'm going to give you a few examples, and I want you to respond yes. to them. So yeah. uh, I'm having a fight with my wife. Do I share that with people I'm in an intimate relationship with? I'm, uh, I find myself, you know, getting into getting upset at, at an online social media interaction. Do I share that? I, I find myself in a hotel room looking at a, at a program I, I don't need to watch, you know, on on cable. Um, you know, I'm I'm I find myself jealous of another pastor leader. So, all of those things, some of those things, are you actually in ongoing communication? Because I don't know about you, you may sin less than me, but I I, I struggle, you know, on a regular basis yeah. and. Yeah. A lot of that's just something between me and the Lord. Some of it's something between me and my wife. And sometimes it's something I do share. So help help us to get that. I want to hear from both of you, Renaud, and then Jimmy as well. Yeah. Uh, my answer to all of that, that is yes. Yes, I, I share all of that with them, and I share it in regularity, and I share it in presence. I don't share with them in past tense. Hey, nine weeks ago, I had a fight with my wife. Um, we have my, my two best friends and I, both of whom attend this the church I pastor, both of whose families do. Um, we have a movie night, uh, once or twice a month. And then we probably text almost every day and we have emojis and things when it's a really crappy day and, uh, we can see that and then touch base with each other. They tell me everything about their lives. I tell them everything in real time. And, and we agree with one another that the, this is a place I can be me without any restriction of my fears of what you're going to think of me otherwise. And we have built that over years. It didn't take six weeks. It took years together in the trenches. But now we're in a place where absolutely I share all of that. And if I don't, my wife can with them. Okay, so let's go to Jimmy as well. Because Jimmy, you're working with a lot of pastors and church leaders. Uh, is this the level of intimacy that you're working towards? And I guess maybe with elders or or, or tell, tell me tell yeah. me more. Yes, yes, and yes. Um Okay. Because I think that we have to have that place where those, I mean, where, you know, I'm going to get a small group of friends, but they know everything. I have some very, very close friends that I've been very close with uh, since actually back in high school. And just last week, we spent a week together up in Colorado, up in the mountains. And we're like, you know, we're up in the mountains. We're like ATVing in the middle of nowhere. And we just stop at this one point and we just share our hearts. And it was so incredibly powerful because it was, and here's some deep things. There were tears from everybody. Here's just some deep hurts and some deep fears and some sins and some things that we long for. And just, just that incredibly powerful time with men. Uh, it's rare. It's rare. I mean, look, I understand it's rare, but it's needed. And I thought, I, I, I need these men. I don't just want them as friends. I desperately need them as friends because they know everything about me. They know my big hopes of this year, my big fears of this year, my big sins of this year. And I can't imagine going through life without those guys. Just, I mean, like the fact that they know, know everything about me. So yes, it's got to be intimate. It's got to be real. It's got to be extremely forthcoming and it's challenging, but um, man, I think that our lives depend on it. Not just our ministry depends on it. I think our lives depend upon it. 
So, so my spidey senses are going off, okay. or, or maybe it's my prophetic gifting. I don't know. I don't know. But, <laughs> are we allowed to have those? But I'm, I'm guessing somebody's listening to the podcast, and they're amening everything that you and Reno just said. But they, they didn't start the church, so they didn't set the culture of the church. Right. Um, okay. They're stepping into the church. Maybe they're a pastor three or four years into it, and they're like, I just I didn't come from that culture. I'm entering into a space that doesn't have that culture. How do I create that culture? What's what's the next step, Jimmy? I mean, you probably deal with this quite a bit through Pass the Serve. Yeah, so so I would say uh, find those friends with whom you can be completely honest and then talk about it. Not, not like in detail, but just make sure that they know, hey, listen, I have got friends who I am completely open and honest with. And just that culture begins to grow, I think. Just that way to think and talk begins to grow and build. And I have watched that build up uh, in lots and lots of churches. And one, one place that's outstanding, I mean, like it's actually Mosaic Church, because Renault has done a great job with this, because he has those friends that I know, know him well, because I know those friends. I know those friends, right. and I know they have complete access. This is not just you smoke, he's blowing. This is absolutely true. And he has built that culture, and it's an, it's an incredible culture but it catches amongst everybody else. Now, I know that there are those places where, man, it's very, very close to the vest. And it's like, you know what, I'm a youth pastor. And I mean, like my lead pastor keeps everything very, very close. And those places are hard, but you have to find your group you, and just say, you know what, this might not be in the whole church, but I'm going to at least, you know, my small pocket here, I'll, you know, I want to make sure that that starts here and pray that that just begins to grow. Yeah, and I, I do sort of wonder, too, is like you mentioned that youth pastor and maybe that senior pastor, and they don't have that kind of community. It seems okay that the youth pastor has a different sphere of intimate relationships. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but, and, and I wonder, too, I mean, I mean, there's a, there's kind of a thing. You're not supposed to have close friends in the church. Uh, I, I, I remember being taught that in seminary, um, and so... When you have close friends in the church, you also have to have, I mean, Renault's church is, isn't 30 people, so he's not, I don't know, he and the youth pastor in that kind of intermittent, intermittent friendship. So unpack both of those things. With whom, and and I'm going to start with you, Jimmy, and then we'll go to Renault. With whom, and then, this is contrary to the advice I learned in seminary, and is this going to end really badly when somebody has a broken relationship and I've shared with them everything. So first to you, Jimmy, and then we're now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's absolutely a risk in this. There's absolutely a risk, but I think it's a risk that you have to take because I hear, okay, it's not wise to have friends in the church. Most pastors I hear that from don't have friends anywhere. They don't have friends anywhere and they're isolated and they're surrounded by people, but they're completely isolated. And I have worked with so many pastors large churches surrounded by people, surrounded by a big staff, and yet completely isolated. Just because you are have all, I mean, like, I'm mean, like a big staff, you can still live a completely isolated life. So, so, so I'd say that those, you know, oftentimes it's, well, I don't think I should have friends in the church. You press in, who are your friends then? And I'm telling you, it is so common. They really don't have any friends. And those are the pastors who are in big trouble uh, because when hard times comes, they they have no place to go. When sin comes, they have no place to check it, and uh, that just leads to a spiral, and that's a bad situation. Reno, talk to us about what you're doing there at Mosaic, sure. and how does that, you know, how does that 
play out in like, okay, you've got a church of, you know, I mean, so 99, you know, I don't know. I remember how large your church is last time we talked, but, but 99% of the people you don't have an intimate relationship with, do they, are they okay with you having this close friendship that they get, they don't have the same, maybe they feel boxed out of. I mean, I know you're not intentionally doing that, No, but that's, that's what we're told. Yeah, you know, we're told lots of things, frankly, all the detriments of having close friends in the church. Others will be jealous when the close friends get mad, then they're going to bring all your dirt and you'll lose your job. Well, you know, if you're close friends with your staff, when you need to fire them, it's going to go badly. We have all these anecdotal stories that have reality to them. They do happen. And so we are so afraid of the consequences of having close friends in the church. But what we're not afraid of is the consequences of isolation. And we ought mm-hmm. to be. We ought to be far more afraid of isolation than we are of the consequences of having friends. And so we either have no friends or all our friends are outside of the church, which means we see them every three months once and they don't know us enough to see us in a lobby and say, what the heck is wrong with you? My friends see me every Sunday and throughout the week. And so they can tell when I'm off. I don't tell them when I'm off. They come tell me when I'm off. They come tell me when they sense I'm tired or exhaust or seem a little more irritable than usual. And the, that requires them to be in my space. And so at Mosaic, we regularly press in both on our staff teams. Um, I have close friendships with guys that are half my age on my staff team that are positionally seven layers below me um, because that kind of level of friendship is helpful. I don't have that friendship with every staff person. I have it with some. And if others become jealous of that, it, it hasn't happened much at Mosaic, but then we go have those conversations and say, why are, you know, why are you jealous? This is protective. So we have to do some hard work. It is risky, but I would say this, that it, in the end, it starts here. And this is what I found in my life. You go to someone that you've got a general friendship with that you like, and they seem to like you. And you're like, we get along, this is great. And they're in your church and you say, can we grab coffee? And you sit down with them and you say, listen, I am a pastor. I have no safe places to go most often. I can often be isolated. I need a friend. Would you mind being my friend? The kind of friend that I can come to who is a safe place and will keep my secrets because they're not really secrets. They just stuff in me that I don't know what to do with. And if you hurt me, fair enough, but would you mind? I have found when I've done that, and I've done that with both my best friends that are now years later, my best friends. Often they just say, sure, I'd love to. And then you begin to nurture that. And a few years go by and they are dear to you. And sometimes you will get hurt. And I am sorry that that happens. But man, if you isolate, you are dead. You're not hurt, you're gonna be dead. And, and I'm much more afraid of isolation than I am of all the anecdotal or re- real risks that friendship within the church takes. Okay, so so we, we only have just a couple minutes left and I wanna go back to Renault and I wanna ask, so what are some things that great ministry leaders get right? Just give us some, a rundown of some of mm-hmm. those things that might be an encouragement to us. Sure. Um, they work at their intimacy with God through prayer and fasting and processes of spiritual disciplines. They have good friends in the church. They are likable and work at likability when they're not super likable. Cause all of us have both of those within us. Uh, they are engaged uh, in the spaces of uh, evaluating where their beliefs and identity are skewed and where Jesus isn't enough for them. Uh, Then they are also working at developing and growing their skill sets as leaders um, in and their competencies as leaders as the church matures or grows so that they can keep up with the growth. And they're learning new things constantly from other people, not being totally self-reliant. So those are some that have been uh, really dear to me. Hmm. 
We really uh, appreciate uh, both the input that the both of you have, have offered, and especially the book, you know, What Great Ministry Leaders Get Right. Um, and as we wrap up our time with you, I'd like to hear from the both of you. Um, I'm assuming uh, pastors, church leaders are listening to this, and there's somebody out there, they're near burnout. Uh, they have a moral issue in their life that they're struggling with right now as they're mm-hmm. listening. Um, I'd like to maybe go to Jimmy and then Renault. Mm-hmm. What's the best next step for, for them? Take a risk, take a step, and share that with a friend. Or if you think I don't have any place to go that that safe, call us at Pastor Serve. We have calls every day from pastors from all over the country, and they say, "I've never talked about this with anybody in my entire life." But and then ugh, you know it it just all comes out. And so I would say, I know, I know that if you have a big, big secret, a big, big burden, it's just weighing you down day by day. Tell one person just tell one person and so much of that weight is released i would just say this same same as jimmy find a safe place whether it's inside your community outside your community because we believe as pastors that our safest place is keeping that secret and fixing it ourselves someday or hoping it goes away It, it won't and it will sink you burnout exhaustion or moral internal things need a safe place and help and find it. It is safer to find a safe place and be burned than it is not to find a safe place and keep this secret. It will kill you. Mm. That's a good word. Thanks for thanks for your wisdom and for investing in pastors and church leaders. You've been listening to Jimmy Dodd and Renaud Vanderritt. Be sure to check out their new book, What Great Ministry Leaders Get Right, Six Core Competencies You Need to Succeed in Your Calling. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. If you found our conversation helpful today, we'd love for you to take a few moments, go over to iTunes, leave us a review. That's going to help other ministry leaders find us a little bit more easily. And you can find this podcast as well as other great Christian podcasts on Faith Play app available for both Apple and Android. We'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.